Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Matt Olson, Robbie Ray, Cedric Mullins. Can the 2021 breakouts do it again? in 2022. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Monday, January 3rd, and welcome to 2022. I am Frank Sample, and making his long-awaited return is Scotty Dubs. Scott White, woo, the crowd goes crazy. Happy New Year, Scotty. How were the holidays for you? Oh, they were they were good. They were good. We did the whole Christmas road trip thing that we skipped last year, going and visiting my folks back in Georgia, the Atlanta area. And so that's where I've been the past week. Just got home. Uh, let's see, people are going to be listening to this Monday morning. So Saturday night. Saturday night, I got home. And uh, I feel like I'm still recovering from that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. It was a lot. A lot of time on the road with two kids age four and seven in hotel rooms and whatnot. Oof. And, uh, you know, it, it's definitely worth it, but it, it does, it does uh, test the definition of a vacation, what it means to vacation. Right. And, you know, I need a vacation from my vacation, that old cliche. So, you know, still recovering from that, but it was, it was good. So technically you lived out the movie Christmas Family Vacation is what you're saying. Well, no, <laughs> not, not exactly. All right. not, it wasn't that bad. I was just trying to show off that I've seen some movies, although everyone knows <laughs> that I really haven't seen any movies. It's all good. I actually watched the movie. You say the name of one that yeah. you probably haven't seen. <laughs> I saw it. I swear I saw it. I watched oh, it last okay. year for the first time. And, and actually, no, they, they don't actually go on yeah. a road trip in that movie. I know. Just to, everyone okay. comes to them. I know, I know Scott. I know. Okay. But you, yeah, you did something like that. Uh, did you get anything cool for Christmas? <laughs> Um, yeah, I got some, uh, got a couple board games. I'm big into the board games. I got the board game, uh, what's it called? I, I always call it Mission to Mars, but it's Terraforming Mars. That's its actual name. And I got the board game Pandemic, ironically enough, in a, a co-op game, probably the most well-known co-op game, and yet... How many people listening have actually heard of it? I don't know. I don't know, but I played it. I played it and got it. It's in my possession. And uh, I got some red red tennis shoes. I'm going to call them tennis shoes. People up your way probably call them sneakers or sneaks. 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 You got the kicks. They're red. Nice. They're red. I, I watched... The Georgia Bulldogs advance to the national championship game. Well, they're where, where they will try to beat Alabama again. 
and probably fail again. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They steamrolled everybody this year, Frank, and then they and then they face Alabama in the SEC championship game. And it was uh it was sad how that one turned out. But they get they get another shot at another bite at the apple, and they're gonna they're gonna take care of business this time, I think, after knocking Michigan around. All right. Well, I'm rooting for you, Scotty. It was a, it was a good yeah. 2021 for you. Obviously, the Atlanta Braves came through. So let's see if that can carry over here in 2022. If at all, excuse me, that I come off as grouchy this month, Scott, it's because I'm doing this cleanse. No carbs or alcohol for the entire month. So like, uh-huh. bear with me, man. Like lots of meat, lots of veggies, no bread, <laughs> no pasta. It's uh. it's always, I do it every January. It's like, whatever. Because uh, the holidays are usually rough. They're rough on the body. So, you know, we've got to yeah. we, we got to turn this thing around. Uh, but I'm just giving you a fair warning there. Today on the podcast, okay. uh, we are going to be talking about the biggest breakouts from 2021 and how likely it is that they'll come close to doing what they did uh, this past season. I know that you guys did this as a podcast a couple of years ago. I thought it was a good idea. So here we are. And if you can't tell, yes, the podcast is here on a Monday. You're listening to us. You're watching us. We are moving to three pods a week again here in January. So you can expect them in your feed Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. And I believe Chris is going to join us sometime in the middle of the month. Got some other fun guests lined up, but don't worry. Uh, keep that a surprise. And we'll talk about it when we get there. Let's jump right in, Scotty. And we'll start with, we'll go by position. I'll mix in a few pitchers, but we'll start with first base and Obviously, Vlad Guerrero was like the biggest breakout, but no one wants to talk about Vlad Guerrero. We talk about him all the time. Let's talk about Matt Olson. I feel like we haven't really done a deep dive on him uh, since the season has ended. And he just finished as a 17th overall player in Roto. 271 batting average, 39 homers, 111 RBI, 101 runs scored, and even chipped in four steals. Although, I don't think that you should be uh, depending on that from Matt Olson. Severely cut down the strikeout rate and was amazing against lefties. I mean, that's really the biggest takeaway here from 2021. How likely is that to sustain moving forward? What do you think, Scott? I'm, I'm treating it as pretty likely. I have Matt Olson as like a third, fourth rounder in fantasy, which is, of course, higher than he's ever been drafted before. Uh, yeah, I mean, the key is that strikeout rate. It nearly cut in half from 2020. 2020 obviously was a freakish season in many ways, but his uh, normally he was like a 25 to 27 percent strikeout guy and 16.8 percent strikeouts this past year is a very good rate, especially for somebody with his kind of power. And of course, we knew Olson could hit a lot of home runs. That was never in question. The fact that he cut down the strikeouts and and and, and sustained that low rate from start to finish, basically, and delivered the power outcome we knew he was always capable of, 39 home runs over a full season. I don't know. I I think it's all pretty legit. Yeah, I mean, it was his age 27 season. It's just a matter of we had a, a pretty decent sample, I would say, leading up to 2021, where you mentioned the strikeout rate typically sat between 25 and 27%. It actually was exactly 26% entering uh, 2021. So I just don't know how likely it is for him to to be that good. Now, maybe it just regresses a little bit and that affects his batting average somewhat. I don't know that he's going to you know hit 270 again. The thing is, he just he impacts the ball very hard. So um, obviously that that goes a long way to uh, 
maintaining the BABIP there. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just question the, the him being able to keep that strikeout rate down as much as it, as he did. And then obviously how good he was against lefties. Got 270 batting average, 962 OPS against left-handed pitching for his career, 243, 804. So you look at steamer projections, they have him for 258. I think you could probably be like a 260 hitter with 35 plus home runs. Does that sound okay to you? Or would you actually project a higher batting average? I think that's fair. I, th- I think it's reasonable to dial it back a little. Now, it's interesting you saying, well, that's an outlier strikeout rate for his career. I'm not sure if he can repeat that. I guess I just don't think of strikeout rate as one of those kinds of stats, you know, where where it's where it is susceptible to um, variance, you know, like home runs. If, you're, if we're talking about a player's home run total, yeah, he hit whatever, 11 more home runs than he's ever hit before. Can he really do that again? Okay, I'm with you, but I, I feel like strikeout rate is one of those things that normalizes very quickly. And if, if a guy has a dramatic change for a full season like that, you know, I, I see that as like, pretty obvious skill change as opposed to just the variance that comes with baseball, you know, which isn't to say there've never been any players that have had these that have seen their strikeout rate go down and then back up. I mean, I guess that happens, but that that's, I, I don't think that's generally the way it plays out. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I mean, given his age too, I mean, it could just be something where, he made progress. He was just a better player. Obviously, we got to see where Matt Olson winds up because there's a lot of rumors about him being traded. I saw over the weekend, or maybe last week, there was a rumor about the Yankees are interested in Matt Chapman to play shortstop. I don't know what's going to... Like, what? What are we doing? But anyway, Buster Only was uh, on the Michael K show, and he said that he thinks the Yankees are going to wind up with one of the Mats. So I think... Look, it wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't hurt his value to go to Yankee Stadium, although we said the same thing about Joey Gallo, and look how that turned out. Matt Olson's a better player. There's no doubt about it. His uh, ADP in the month of December over at the NFBC was 42.8, the third first baseman off the board, six picks ahead of Paul Goldschmidt, uh, 17 picks ahead of Pete Alonso. Does that sound right, Scott, just ahead of Goldie and, and Alonzo? Yeah, I might have him even further ahead than than the ADP for the NFBC does. Okay. But yeah, ahead of those two, more like a two-round separation than a one-round separation for me. All right, let's move on to the next one. Jorge Polanco, who finishes the 24th overall player in Roto. He was the sixth best second baseman in terms of head-to-head fantasy points per game. He had 269, 33 homers, 97 runs, 98 RBI with 11 steals. So really contributed across the board. Uh, Not a huge uh, contributor in batting average, but he didn't hurt you either. I mean, 269 is very serviceable nowadays. Uh, His previous high in home runs was 22 back in 2019. That was really his his first breakout season. And then this year, he he took it even further. His previous stolen base high was uh, 13 back in 2017. And this is exactly the type of player that you were just talking about, Scott, where you see the power increase by as much as it did, right? Improving his new career high in home runs by 11, getting all the way up to 33. The home run to fly ball ratio, uh, 15.8%. That was never above 10% uh, at any season. So I think, you know, we have some reasons to be skeptical of this, but he also did things differently. You know, he pulled the ball more than ever before. Uh, He hits a lot of line drives. He hit the ball harder than ever before. The bow rate was up as well. So there are some things there. I'm a little bit skeptical still that we're going to get a 30 plus home run season out of Polanco again. Yeah, the average exit velocity was up 
89.4 career high. Of course, average exit velocity was up across the league. I, I think you, I, I compare Polanco's 2021 to his 2019, which at the time we were thinking of as his breakout season, and then 2020 was a disaster, and we didn't know what to make of him anymore. But remember, 2019, Jorge Polanco at 295 with 22 home runs, uh, an OPS around 850, I believe it was. I think it was actually a little higher than this past year because the batting average was... Yeah, 841. 841 OPS that year versus 826 this past year when he hit 33 home runs versus the 22 he hit in 2019. So, you, you know, in 2019, what was previously regarded as his breakout season, Jorge Polanco had an average exit velocity of 88 versus the 89.4 he had in 2021. And those two average exit velocities stand out over every other year StatCast has on record for him. Neither one of them is that great of an average exit velocity, though, right? Like, thir- a, a guy hitting 33 home runs in 2021 with the way that ever the exit velocity readings were looking, you know, below 90 average exit velocity. I, I think there's reason to be skeptical of that power output. Now, you did mention high line drive rate. 2021, he got back to having the sort of fly ball rate that he had in that initial breakout in 2019. He doesn't hit many ground balls, and that's that's a valuable thing for a hitter to do. If it's if his batted balls are largely manifesting his line drives and his fly balls, that's where you're you're going to get the best outcomes, generally speaking, off the bat. Doesn't strike out much. There's definitely a lot to like here in the profile for Jorge Polanco, but it just seems like a little too much, the 33 home runs. I think maybe somewhere in between that 2019 season and that 2021 season is fair to expect. Maybe the batting average goes up a little. Um, but the home runs, I think, come down to maybe the 25 range as opposed to 33, which would still make him a must-start in fantasy, in all likelihood, being eligible at both of those middle infield spots. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't expect him to be a 33 homer or even a 30 homer guy again. And he's not being drafted as that. So yeah, doesn't seem like anybody does a lot like Matt Olson. It was his age 27 season. So I guess there's just a chance that, you know, he kind of just unlocked some power that we've never seen before. Uh, at the same time, again, it's a, it was just a very big jump. So the likelihood that he does that again, I think uh, is, is not great. He's currently projected for 24 home runs. Scott, would you take, take the over or under on that 24 homers? It's pretty fair. I would take the over a little bit. I'm, I'm going to say 26 myself. Okay. And again, I, I want to reiterate um, what I think was the, the reason for this power breakout. Again, is I, I brought up this pull rate for him. 52.7% pull rate. That was below 40% each of the past three years. So I've noticed with hitters that don't really profile as these power hitters, the ones that can make it work are the ones that do have these extreme pull rates, like guys like Alex Bregman and, and Jose Altuve. Obviously, it helps where they play in Houston, but I think for someone like Polanco, that was kind of uh, that was the recipe for him to get there. Was pulling the ball as much as he did, and, and obviously putting the ball in the air as much as he did. So uh, again, just 
I, that was something I noticed. Um, but yeah, I think he's probably more like a 25 homer, 8 to 10 steal kind of guy right now. His ADP in December was 84.5. So that's like the 7-8 turn in the 12-team league. Basically the same ADP as Cattell Marte. Who would you rather have, Scotty? I'd rather have Marte. I think there's a higher ceiling there. And probably a higher floor, too. Though I do think Polanco's floor is pretty high. I think that 2020 season where he was just dreadful in between what we thought was his breakout in 2019 and, and the even bigger breakout in 2021. You know, that that you can just completely discard. He was uh, playing with a bad ankle that I, I think needed a second surgery. And obviously, it was a tiny sample anyway. So I, I feel like Polanco with the low strikeout rate, the high line drive, drive rate, he comes with a pretty high floor himself. But it's more in terms of what... Like, does he end up being a 20-homer guy versus a 30-homer guy? I'm with you there. I think I would rather have Cattell Marte as well. And that's not to disparage Polanco, because I actually like his ADP just fine. Uh, and I think he's yep. someone I could have quite a bit of this year. I was looking at you. You're, you're talking about the pulled, how, how often he pulls the ball, Jorge Polanco. And you mentioned over half the time overall. I just was looking at fly balls specifically, how often Jorge Polanco pulls them. 34.4% of the time in 2021, more than he hit it the opposite way, which is actually pretty unusual for fly balls to hit the major, to, to pull the majority of your fly balls. Even in 2019, that other good season that he had, he he pulled the ball in the air only 22.8% of the time, again, versus 34.4% of the time this past year. So that might be the key to him sustaining big home run production. I, I still think it's um I still think it's not particularly likely, but if he can do that, like that's something to monitor early next season is how often he's pulling the ball specifically in the air. Mm-hmm. And it could be a team philosophy thing, too. I remember a couple of years ago with the Twins, their entire team was just pulling the ball like crazy, and that's why everyone was just mashing home runs. Like, Mitch Garver was pulling the ball a ton. Obviously, Nelson Cruz, I mean, not that he needs to pull the ball. He's awesome. Uh, anyway, but yeah, I just it was something I remember a couple of years ago from the Minnesota Twins. Let's take a look at our first pitcher here, Scott. Julio Arias finished 31st overall in Roto this past season, a top five starting pitcher in that format. He was a top 10 starting pitcher in terms of head-to-head fantasy points per game, a 296 ERA, 102 whip, 195 strikeouts, over 185 and two-thirds innings pitched. Uh, How did the breakout happen? It was really the innings, the fact that they just let him go. I mean, he went six-plus innings in 15 of 32 starts last year. He only went six plus innings 10 times in 38 starts from 2016 to 2020. Obviously, you know, he was bouncing back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation. But I thought it was interesting that he had as many starts of six plus innings last year versus what he did coming into 2021. So how likely is it for him to uh, maintain this breakout season that he just had? I think it's pretty likely. Yeah, the, the, the thing I was most skeptical about for Julio Arias was the workload because the Dodgers play it cautiously with with up-and-comers to begin with, but especially one that they've uh, moved between the bullpen and the rotation throughout his career, and that they could that they were willing to let him go to the extent that he was the, the league's only 20-game winner, I think says a lot. Now, what's interesting about Julio Arias is, I mean, what are the main things... 
I, what are the main stats I kind of fixate on for pitchers, Frank? You know this. Swinging strike rate. Swinging strike rate, ground ball rate, XFIP. Those are probably the main <laughs> ones, right? He's not good at any of those. <laughs> not at any of them. Not at any of them. His 296 ERA this past year, that's versus a 373 XFIP. Uh, not a big strikeout guy. I mean, more than a strikeout per inning, but that's you know that's kind of average by today's standards. But he's done this consistently throughout his career. He, he, he excels at weak contact, which generally is not something I put a lot of stock in for a pitcher. I, I think it can vary a lot from year to year, but there's a consistent enough track record of Julio Arias doing this, of outperforming his XFIP, of having a very low XERA, which is, uh, which is stat cast measures, which more has to do with quality of contact than, than some of those peripherals I like. And uh, he's, he's done it long enough that performance-wise, I don't, I don't really have any concerns for Arias, even though he doesn't excel in the ways I normally like to see a pitcher excel. So uh, partly because of the sporting cast, largely because he's the Dodgers have shown a willingness to let him work deep into games and, and take on a, a frontline workload. I have Julio Arias as a top 10 pitcher for me next year. So I'm, I'm pretty much buying in completely with him. Yeah, no, that ability to limit hard contact, that that's what, what it's all about, Scott. 94th percentile over on StatCast, so he's one of the league's best in terms of, of doing that. And limiting home runs, too. So obviously, you know, we had our podcast recently where we kind of went through each of the advanced numbers that we like to use, and we talked about how XFIP normalizes your home run to fly ball ratio to what the league home run to fly ball ratio is, the league average. He's consistently been better than league average at home run to fly ball ratio. So I do think that, you know, the XFIP is a little bit misleading when it comes to Julio Rios. With all of that being said, uh, I still do think that he's kind of in this weird territory because the swinging strike rate at 11.2%, it is very underwhelming for the ERA and the whip output that he had this past season. It's actually kind of similar to his teammate, Walker Bueller. So I don't yeah. know, maybe I'm looking too much into that, but... Uh, just doesn't really line up. 25th in swinging strike percentage this past season uh, among qualified starting pitchers. It's it's definitely underwhelming. Uh, so the ADP is 34.9. He's the 10th starting pitcher off the board just after Shane Bieber, just ahead of Sandy Alcantara. It sounds like you're probably okay with that. Yes, I have him one spot ahead of Alcantara myself. And who did you say Arias was just behind? Just behind uh, Shane Bieber. Yeah, I have Shane Bieber a few spots ahead, but... Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that in, in terms of him being between those two pitchers. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to get up to Julio Arias this year. It's Remember, Scott, uh, I, I want to be more selective this year when it comes to which pitchers do I actually want to draft early in drafts. And um, I just could see myself shying away from Julio Arias. I got to dive in a little bit more, but that, that's my early takeaway here on him. Yeah, we both talked about that. I guess I'm not totally sure what my uh, criteria is for pitchers I shy away from him. I uh, shy away from, I, I think it might be baked into my rankings more. I, I don't know. May, does Robbie Ray seem like the kind of pitcher you're going to shy away from? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't think I'm going to have any Robbie Ray. Just, yeah. Just looking for those <laughs> ones with obvious risk factors, obvious, obvious combustibility. I mean, Guys who I didn't avoid as much as I should have this past year. And, you know, oh, there were obvious reasons to avoid him, and I just didn't do it, include uh, like Dylan Bundy and 
uh, Zach Plesak. Kenta Maeda. Yeah. That was more yeah, injury-related. I was, I, was, I was kind of the high guy on Kenta Maeda throughout the industry, in fact. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and you know, in retrospect, like, well, obviously there were reasons to avoid those guys. And I can see that for Robbie Ray, even though I rank Robbie Ray one spot ahead of Arias, I, I might, I might have to think about that some. I, I don't see it as much for Arias though. I, like in, in terms of how good a pitcher he is, like that, that is well established at this point. It's been year after year of him delivering those kinds of results. So I don't worry about it so much. I, I guess I guess probably like you know, you, you think Bundy and Pleasak, they were they were guys who I ranked out, even though I ended up with a lot of shares of them, they were outside of my top 20 still at the position. Um and so maybe similar cases for me this year would be like uh I don't know, Jack Flaherty, Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that more. It's still January. It's early in January. We got time to think about that. Like you, Darvish is one that comes to mind too, right? But it, I can see oh, that yeah, one. I, I have him ranked 29th. Yeah. I can see that one going either way. So, right. That's a little bit tougher. But like, I mean, there are, to me, there are very obvious risk factors with you, Darvish. But yeah. No, there's, you could, you could definitely see that blowing up on you, but you could also see it. If you Darvish was the NL Cy Young winner in 2022, I, I don't think that would be the shock of the century at all. Uh, so, if I get him as like my number four, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is me. <laughs> maybe this is me uh, laying another trap for myself. But that's, I, I like the sound of that right now. Well, Scott, if you're getting Darvish as your SP four. And that means you're probably spending four of your first eight picks on starting pitchers, which yeah, probably. I don't, <laughs> I don't think either one of us are going to be doing something like that this year. Uh, but we'll see. We'll we've, see. We've got some more mock drafts coming up. Let's get back to the hitters. Austin Riley from your World Series champion Atlanta Braves. He finishes the 23rd overall player in Roto. He was the third best third baseman in that format. He was the fourth best uh, third baseman in terms of head-to-head fantasy points per game. He hit 303, 33 homers, 91 runs scored, 107 RBI. Uh, And we knew the power was legit. I don't think that really anyone saw the batting average kind of working out the way that it did. I mean, it was it was really truly a, I would say best case scenario for Austin Riley this past season. He's still pretty young. You know, maybe, maybe he proves me wrong, but we do have some underlying numbers. The expected batting average was 279. His BABIP was 368. That was the third highest in major league baseball. So uh, I like the player that he's become Scott, the progress that Mm -hmm. he's made. He makes a good amount of contact. We've now seen that over the course of 2020 and 2021. Uh, But I do think that the batting average probably uh, takes a step back this upcoming season. Probably. Yeah, I mean, odds are that he's not as good in 2022 as he was in 2021. But I wouldn't be totally surprised if he was either. The line drive rate is very high. You can you can understand how he could how he could have a 368 BAPIP just in, in terms of his line drive rate. Now he hit 303 versus having an X batting average of 279. So you know there, there's obviously dis, obvious disparity there, but 279 is still like a a really good XBA. Yeah, I 
I, I think he probably regresses a little bit, but for the most part, it's pretty legit. Yeah, he has this this weird reverse split thing going on too, where he is uh, great against right-handed pitching, 941 OPS this past season, 752 against lefties. I was trying to pull up his splits in the minors real quick to see if that was something that was consistent with him. Um, but I don't think I'm going to have enough time to do it. This is a weird, like, I don't know, whenever I see a reverse split that drastic, um, especially for a right-handed pitcher against lefties, I always find that a little odd. Uh, all right, so in 2019, he hit 229 against left-handed pitching. Uh, was it 2018 that was like his breakout year? Yeah, he hit 180. He hit 188. Oh, that was only 11 games. All right, I got to dive more into this. But uh, he did have a weird reverse split thing uh, this past season. Again, that is Austin Riley. Yeah, the line drive rate is amazing. Um, you mentioned, uh, like, 10th best among qualified hitters this past season. So, yeah, I think he's still probably safe for, like, 280. I think that's probably fair for, for Austin Riley. Um, but, yeah, he's still just, he's turning 25 in April. I mean, there's... There's a chance that he's just really this good. His December ADP was 53.8. He's kind of like in this no man's land in terms of third baseman right now. He's 31 picks after Manny Machado. He does go around the same spot as Mondesi, but uh, that's just <laughs> completely different skill sets. And then he's 20 yeah, picks. And that, and that I, I think I think Mondesi, NFBC is the kind of, the, the way that contest works. I think it really inflates somebody like Mondesi. Yeah. And you're um, probably not going to, they're probably not going to be that close in your league, average listener. But um, yeah, I I find I draft. Well, I haven't drafted that much yet. Let's be honest. But <laughs> I feel like Austin Riley is a high priority for me at that that round three four turn. You know, if he's there, I'm probably taking him because of how ugly things get at third base. Like. Third base is the position scarcity position this year, and Riley is one of those players right at that, right at that, uh, at that crux where um, they're generally at the point where he goes. There aren't obvious standouts at any of the other positions. Like the really, the real like obvious early round types have all been drafted at that point. So why not just take even if you're even if you have some concerns about him regressing a little bit, as we both expressed. Why not take the guy who's who's going to shore up that very scary position for you? I guess my only question, Scott, would be: Does Austin Riley deserve to go two rounds ahead of Nolan Arenado? And that could be yeah. more of a Nolan Arenado's a, a good discount versus Austin Riley being overdrafted, right? Yeah, I think probably yes, he deserves to go two rounds ahead of. Nolan Arenado, does he deserve to go three rounds ahead of Nolan Arenado, which is is something that I think has happened in the mocks I've participated in so far. Like, if you could guarantee me Arenado in round six, then I'd probably pass up Riley in round three. Mm -hmm. But obviously, it, you, obviously you can't guarantee that. And and then if, <laughs> if you miss out on Riley and you miss out on Arenado then you're probably reaching for like a Bregman or a Rendon in the hopes that they bounce back to what we know they can be, but it's a reach. It feels like a reach. And uh, otherwise you're probably settling for like a Matt Chapman or Yoan Moncada, mm -hmm. who I guess could bounce back themselves, but that's just not, uh, that that's just not something I have a lot of comfort with. Yeah. I mean, the difference between Riley and Arenado right now is, is 20 picks worth of ADP. So 
basically two rounds in a, in a 12 team league. Uh, and I've, I already competed in one 15 teamer where Arenado was there in the sixth round, Scott. So I, I think yeah. some people might just be, uh, sleeping on, on Arenado and sure. Uh, he's a good value as of now in those middle rounds. We're going to take a quick break, but uh, if you are listening to us on Spotify, you can actually now rate podcasts on Spotify. So uh, for Fantasy Baseball Today, for Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, if you can, please leave us five stars there on Spotify. When we get back, we're going to talk about who? Brandon Crawford next on Fantasy Baseball Today. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. All right, so this is probably one of the weirdest breakouts that we're going to talk about today. He finishes the 43rd overall player in Roto, Brandon Crawford did, and he was the 7th best shortstop in that format. He was tied for 6th in terms of head-to-head fantasy points per game at that position. 298 batting average, 24 homers, 79 runs, 90 RBI, 11 steals, 895 OPS, all career highs across the board for Brandon Crawford. His previous high in terms of OPS was 792, which uh, he actually did the season before, the shortened season. So it's like, how much how much do you actually put into that as well? Uh, and of course, he did that all at the ripe age of... 34 years old. He'll actually turn 35 later this month in January. So it's just very weird. Um, how did he do it? He hit the ball hard more consistently than ever. A 94.7 mile per hour average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives. So when he's putting the ball in the air, he was actually hitting it pretty hard. That was tied for 39th among qualified hitters with Jose Ramirez and Jazz Chisholm. It was actually better than Bo Bichette and Randy Rosarena. He had a career high uh, in terms of barrel rate, in terms of expected slugging percentage, hard hit rate. Scott, my question to you is, how much do you actually believe in it with him turning 35 years old later this month? As a general rule, I'm going to bet against the 34-year-old breakout, especially at a position like shortstop, which you, you don't see many guys performing at a high level into their 30s, much less into their mid-30s, much less the best they've ever performed before. So yeah, I'm big, big dose of skepticism here with Brandon Crawford, who, you know, just kind of had improvement, like small improvements in, uh, uh, in the margins. Basically you mentioned him hitting the ball harder than ever. What stood out even more than that was the career high launch angle, at least 
what we have recorded via StatCast and um, a lower strikeout rate than the past couple of years. So just kind of small improvements everywhere kind of explain him having this production, but doesn't don't it doesn't fully explain it. Uh, he hit 298 versus an expected batting average of 259, for instance. And uh, I know his home run production slowed down quite a bit in the second half. Uh, if I could get those numbers pulled up quickly here. Yeah, he hit six of his 24 home runs in the second half. Actually hit a higher, hit for a higher batting average in the second half, though. I'm most skeptical of that batting average more than anything else. But you know, pretty skeptical of everything across the board. The one thing I'll say about Brandon Crawford, 3.25 head-to-head points per game. That's uh, basically, it, it, it's better than what Tim Anderson did. It's just a little behind like Carlos Correa and Jorge Polanco. So it was definitely a very valuable player. And because I don't think anybody's taking his numbers at face value, it's one of those things, it's one of those situations where he could just get passed over to such an extreme, particularly in a position that's so star-studded that you get him for, particularly like a 12-team context, you get him for next to nothing. And at that point, it's worth it, obviously. It's worth it, you know, just because you never know. You never know if there's something that he figured out that that wasn't really detectable in, in the normal things we look at and, and can produce somewhere close to the same level in 2022. But that's that's the only scenario where I see myself investing in Brandon Crawford is just if nobody else wants to, then okay, I guess I'll take the chance on, on him being legit. You know, I think the craziest part of his stat line, Scott, is the fact that he had 11 steals. <laughs> his sprint speed was in the 25th percentile on StatCast. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the biggest fluke of all, right? Yeah, and it's not really something that's been a part of his game ever. I mean, his previous high was seven steals in 2016, and that was across 155 games. So just a a very weird year and a great year from him. Like, you know, I don't want to take anything away from him. He he was um, absolutely amazing, but... The likelihood of him, you know, coming close to this again, it I would say is is obviously not very likely. The ADP though, one ninety eight point four. So like you said, like end of your draft. I mean, that's the seventeenth round in a, in a twelve team league. Yeah, at that point, if you if you need maybe a little pop, a batting average that won't hurt you as your as your middle infielder, I think that's fine. Uh, but just and, and be I, I suspect in leagues that use a head to head lineup, no middle infield spot, only nine hitters total. Yeah, he, like, he, he won't be drafted. Potentially your last pick could be Brandon Crawford. Yeah. And I, at, at that point, I don't know that it's a bad idea to gamble on him. All right. Well, we mentioned this name earlier on, and it is Robbie Ray, who finishes the 37th overall player in Roto. Of course, he won the American League Cy Young. He was the SP7 in Roto formats. He was the SP9 in head-to-head fantasy points per game. And he had a 2.84 ERA, 104 whip, 248 strikeouts, over 193 and a third innings pitched. And how did he do it? He trusted the stuff. His fastball velocity saw an increase and the control. Uh, The fact that he lowered his walks, 2.47 walks per nine. That was over seven, over seven walks per nine in 2020. It was over four in 2019. It was never lower than 3.45. So all of those things coming together, the fact that uh, he had this increased velocity and he just trusted his stuff and and the control was amazing. That that all kind of led to this breakout here, Scott. Now the problem is you're buying a starting pitcher coming off 
literally a career year. Is that something you actually want to do? Yeah, I I hear you on that. And of my top 10 starting pitchers heading into next year, heading into next season, that's the one. Robbie Ray's the one that would give me the most pause, as we just talked about earlier. But if he can sustain the control gains, like that, that's everything for him. I don't even care so much about the velocity because he's been striking out 11, 12 batters per nine his entire career. It's just he would walk five batters per nine, or at least four batters per nine, uh, would be one of the least efficient pitchers out there, barely go five innings most of the time, and with all the base runners from all the walks, you know, not be terribly effective anyway. But the guy could always miss a ton of bats. So having a modest walk rate of 2.4 per nine innings, clearly clearly that was enough to put him... to. to to, to make the most of the that incredible bat-missing ability that he's always had on display. Now, what what's, what's interesting about Robbie Ray, apart from the walks, is that he's always given up like really hard contact. He's always had a really high BABIP. Uh, missed so many bats that he could get away with it, but when... when Opposing hitters made contact. They they tended to hit the ball hard. Even last year, 1.5 home runs per nine. Now he's going to Seattle and the AL West, a pitcher's park and a, and a division full of pitcher's parks. It, it's the best environment Robbie Ray's ever had to pitch in. And he's coming off this career Cy Young winning season. Like, could things actually get better because of that? I, I think it's I think it's possible. I don't think it's wise to bet on that knowing his history, but you know, it's, it's, it's the sort of thing where if the walk rate comes back, it's all irrelevant. And if it doesn't, then it's probably all legitimate, you know? So, so much hinges on that one stat that it, it, it definitely makes him a volatile, a volatile number one for you in fantasy. A volatile use of a third round pick in all likelihood is what you're spending on him. Maybe a fourth rounder. And if he walks five batters in his first start with the Mariners, <laughs> then you're going to be very worried. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned the the hard contact that he allows. And this past mm-hmm. season, he had a 268 BABIP for his career. That number is 305. Mind you, I mean, his stuff played up this past year. He made pitch mix changes as well, where he was basically just a two-pitch pitcher this past season. He went four-seam. He went slider. That accounted for 90% of his pitches this past season. Uh, and really, that that fastball usage was up about 12 percentage points year over year from 2020 to uh, 2021. So the stuff played up, I get that, but I still think that he was lucky in terms of uh, his BABIP this past season. So even if he were to regress to his underlying numbers, a 3.69 FIP, a 3.36 X FIP, somewhere in that mid threes range, you kind of bake some something in there because he's moving to Seattle. So I do agree with you in that regard, Scott. He's you know he's not pitching in Toronto and Buffalo and all these other places they played this past year, but. Specifically in the AL East, you know, he gets he doesn't have to face the Yankees consistently, the Red Sox, obviously. Uh, Tampa, they hit a lot of home runs as well. So it's, you know, it's kind of a balancing act here because, you know, some things are good that he's moving to Seattle. And then obviously, you, I still kind of expect him to regress a little bit as well. The ADP is 45. He's going just after Lucas Giolito and Aaron Nola. 
He's going just ahead of Chris Sale, and I have a feeling that you have him ranked ahead of all of those names. Yes. Yes, I think every name you said there I have him ranked ahead of. But it's... That's what I'm going to have to think about some more. Like, do I really want Robbie Wiray as my number one? I think he could certainly be that. I think there's also a possibility he's dropped before the end of May, too. You know, it really, really comes down to whether those control gains were sustainable. Yeah, I think his floor is probably lower than someone like Giolito and Nola. Oh, his, yeah, for his, sure. His upside is arguably better because we just saw it, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, he won the American League Cy Young. So uh, that's right. again, this is a, this is a balancing act that you have to, you know, you have to weigh these things when it comes to drafting Robbie Ray. You probably want him as your SP two, but if that's the case, then you're using you're drafting two starting pitchers with your first four picks, and I, I don't know if you want to do that either. So uh, these are all things you got to consider with him. Cedric Mullins yep. was basically the breakout hitter uh, in terms of fantasy baseball this past season. He finished twentieth overall in Roto. He was the outfield six outfielder six. In that format, he was 15th in head-to-head fantasy points per game, 291, 30 homers, 30 steals, the only player to go 30-30 this past season. We talked about it a lot. He ditched switch hitting, and the power just took off. Uh, he saw this huge jump in home run to fly ball ratio, 9.4% to 15.5%. Uh, he also posted career highs in terms of barrel rate and hard hit rate. I think the speed, more than anything, is what I trust uh, most when it comes to Cedric Mullins, 86 percentile in terms of the sprint speed, kind of took a bit of a step back here in the second half of the season, 261 batting average, 822 OPS. I think he's probably more of like an 18 to 20 homer guy, Scott. I mean, that's like my early read on the situation. Now he probably, you know, he's helped out because he plays in Camden Yards in the American League East. Uh, but I would say, you know, 25 plus steals is what I would bank on most from him. And then if I can get you know, high teens in terms of power, I, I think I would be okay with that. Just being realistic from like a projection standpoint with him. I don't know that I'm going to be quite that pessimistic. I, I'm mostly, I'm mostly treating Cedric Mullins like who he was in the second half when he hit uh, 261 versus hitting 314 in the first half. And as he was having that first half as as he was first breaking out in the early stages of this of the season, you know, expected stats versus actual stats, really the batting average is where it wasn't lining up for me. And sure enough, we saw the batting average regress in the second half. But the the power output and the speed remained steady first half to second half. You know, sixteen and sixteen in the first half, fourteen and fourteen in the second half. Uh, so was he he a two sixty hitter who you know, maybe wouldn't quite go 30-30 again, but 25-25 and up. Uh, I mean, that's certainly worth a third-round pick for me. Now, maybe I'm being a little too sanguine because obviously Cedric Mullins was uh, not somebody many people were investing in at all going into last year. I mean, it's... Yeah, you could say, okay, so he dropped switch hitting and he was always better from the left side of the plate, and so it makes sense that he had a career season. Okay, yeah, there's some truth to that, but he wasn't an 878 OPS guy from the left side of the plate. It's not like... It's it's like he became better even accounting for that, you know, even for accounting for that he was better from the left side of the plate. Um, he wasn't... He wasn't this good so I mean I, I 
that obviously raises some skepticism that that maybe it was just all kind of too good to be true. But I don't know. The way he sustained the power from start to finish uh, has me mostly buying in. Small regression, but not not somebody I'm really that concerned about investing in early round pick in. Scott, do you worry about the slugging percentage versus the expected slugging? So he slugged 518, the X slug was 440. Or do you think this is something where he can kind of consistently outperform that because of where he plays in Camden? I mean, my understanding with the expected stats is that they're taking into account venue, right? I mean, that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, that would make sense because every Rockies hitter, usually they're under... Usually their numbers are much lower uh, in terms of... Their expected numbers are much lower on StatCast. And uh, obviously takes venue into account. But it's not taking in environmental factors, if that's the case. It's, yeah. just, it's just factoring for dimensions, park dimensions. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he puts the ball in the air a lot. He hits the ball not extremely hard, but, you know, sort of like Jorge Polanco, sort of like I was saying about Jorge Polanco, where hard enough that I could see 25 home runs, but it might be a stretch for him to be a 30 home run a guy again. So I'm, I'm just kind of saying the same thing and over again with different terms for Cedric Mullins. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably another 30 homer season is... More than you should expect, but I'm I'm not saying high teens either, like you are. Okay, um, mid twenties. Yeah, Steamer has him for 25 homers, 26 deals. I'll take I'll take the under. I think pretty comfortably on on the home runs, but uh, I could see him going over 26 deals. That wouldn't surprise me. You know, if he if he's hitting less homers, but he's still getting on base, you know, maybe that gives him more opportunities to run. So I understand the appeal of Cedric Mullins, but like Robbie Ray, I mean, you're paying for someone coming off of a career year. Is that what you want to do? His ADP was outside the top 400 last year. Uh, these are things that you have to right. ask yourself. Uh, his ADP is 29.6. He's the 11th outfielder off the board. He's going just after Whit Merrifield. He's going three spots ahead of Teoscar Hernandez. What do you think about that price range? I, that's, uh, that's pretty much dead on with where I have him. I have him as number 11, three spots ahead of... The outfielder spots ahead of Teoscar Hernandez. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think this the distinction between Mullins and and Robbie Ray is there's not so much tied to one specific thing. Like, Robbie Ray could not find the strike zone consistently for his entire career, and it killed him. And he does that. You know, he figures it out that quickly. How Could he, could he lose it just as quickly? And I, I don't think... I don't think the concerns are on the same level for Cedric Mullins. Maybe he, maybe it was just a little too good to be true, but I don't think he's going to. Uh, I, I, I don't think there's as clear of a case for him just losing it like there is for Robbie Ray. That's definitely fair. No, that that's a good point because Robbie Ray, we had this whole track record, a whole career of him, you know, kind of showing some flashes, but obviously never coming close to what he did last year. Cedric Mullins, I mean, that was his age 26 season. So it could just be that, you know, he's getting better as a player. And, and now, you know, this is the guy that he's that he's going to be. Um, but time will tell. Uh, I, I think it's close with Teoscar Hernandez. I know that Cedric Mullins is going to definitely give you more speed. I've done I've done a complete like 180 when it comes to Oscar Hernandez. I just I trust him now, and maybe that's maybe that's not fair because he's really only done it for 
I guess last year, the shortened season and this full year, but a little bit more of a track record than Cedric Mullins. So for whatever that's worth. And the Blue Jays lineup is just obviously so, so great. So um, a few a few feathers in the cap there for Teoscar Hernandez. Let's get to one more pitcher here, and that is Freddie Peralta. He finished 78th overall in Roto. He was the SP15 in that format, SP22 in fantasy points per game. Finished with a 2.81 ERA, 0.97 whip, 195 strikeouts, over 144 and a third innings pitched. That is just amazing. Um, how do you do it? He finally developed that slider. His fastball usage went from 73.5% in 2020 to 51.6% in 2021. So lowered that fastball usage about 22 percentage points. The slider went from right around 5% to 26%. Still uses curveball uh, about 11% of the time. So he he now has the three pitches, you know, for, you know, his entire career leading up to 2021, he was known as Fastball Freddy. I mean, the guy uses fastball a ton. Uh, so now he has a slider, he has a curveball, and I mean, the underlying numbers are great. Sixth in K-minus walk rate, eighth in swinging strike percentage, 14.4%. Scott, I think the only worry you probably have with Peralta, and anybody would have, is just the usage. What, like, what do we expect in terms of innings pitch this upcoming season? Uh, can, can he get up to 170, 180? If he does that, yeah, he's probably a top 10 starting pitcher. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has that kind of upside. Yeah. Um, it's it's another situation. Well, obviously the strikeouts are incredible. So, you know, put, putting that aside, it's otherwise somewhat comparable to Julio Arias in that uh, the, the, the other measures that I usually look at for a starting pitcher aren't quite there for Freddie Peralta. A lot of fly balls, and yet he didn't give up that many home runs. The walks are also high, 3.5 this past year. It it explains why he has a 366 XFIP versus his 281 ERA. Now, he did have a 270 X ERA, so he allowed weak contact, but there isn't, there isn't quite the same track record for him in that regard as there is for Julio Arias. But I agree, it's mainly about workload yeah big increase in innings for him and anytime you see that like i'm talking over 100 from one year to the next Mm -hmm. and uh his previous career high was 85 in the majors he had 100 144 and a third this past year so there's the combination there of him um seeing a huge jump in innings and still having yet to reach that innings threshold that we want to see from a high-end pitcher. And until a guy shows he can do that, I'm not totally sure he can do that. Until he shows he can repeat that, I'm not totally sure he can repeat that, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the double whammy there for for Freddie Peralta in in terms of my level of trust. Uh, And then you factor in also, yeah, some some of those underlying numbers aren't quite what I want them to be. Misses bats so well that maybe that doesn't matter as much as it might for somebody who's striking out nine and a half batters per nine innings than the 12.2 that he did. <laughs> but it, it is worth raising uh, when we're parsing these these kind of early round high upside pitchers. So I have Freddie Peralta maybe a little lower than where ADP has him, I'm 23rd among starting pitchers. I could talk, I could be talked into moving him 
you know, as high as 19th maybe, but 23rd is where I have him now behind guys like Frankie Montas and Max Freed. Okay, so in terms of ADP right now, his ADP is 56. He's the ninth, 19th pitcher off the board, but there are two relievers going ahead of him. So yeah, he's the SP17 in terms of NFBC ADP right now. He's going just after Logan Webb. He's going just before Kevin Gosman. Uh, just in, ter- uh, in terms of, for consistency's sake here, he only allowed a 230 BABIP this past season. It's 270 for his career now. He did do a much better job in terms of limiting hard contact, but uh, even a 230 BABIP is still pretty low. So I would expect yeah. that to reg- regress quite a bit. He allows a lot of fly ball, Scott, but he actually does a pretty good job of of preventing home runs. You know, right around one homer per nine in his career. That's that's certainly, you know, you can live with that. Um, he, he walks too many guys. You're right about that. The strikeouts are just, they're amazing. Um, so I don't know if this is fair to say, but I... You know, if it's Freddie Peralta two rounds later than Julio Arias, I, I'd rather just have Freddie Peralta. Uh, I think the strikeout upside is is much higher, too. Now, we haven't seen well, the workload. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, we haven't seen the workload for Peralta like we just saw for Arias. So, you know, that that obviously, that's something in the favor of Julio Arias. But should they be two rounds apart? I don't know. It seems like a lot. Yeah, I mean, I I would have them two rounds. Uh, obviously, I have Freddie Peralta ranked lower than than the ADP has him. So yeah, I would I would have them two rounds apart. But just in terms of is Freddie Peralta's ultimate ceiling higher than Julio Rios? You know, just just based on the difference in strikeout rate, I I would say probably. Yeah, but Arias is just much more projectable and and much more polished. I think. Uh, not to take anything away from Freddie Peralta, who had a great season, but you, I see more potential pitfalls for Peralta than I do for Arias. I just, I trust the Brewers too, man. What they've been able to do in recent years with Corbin Burns and, and Brandon Woodruff too, it's just like, they know what they're doing. That's why a lot of people we spoke about, uh, David Mendelson and myself, we spoke about Aaron Ashby while you were in here, Scott. So I, I have a feeling he's going to be a pretty popular late round sleeper breakout type pitcher this yeah. upcoming season as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I actually um, guessed guested. That's a word, right? <laughs> on Chris Welsh's prospect. Gosh, am I going to forget the name? Prospect one. Prospect one yep. podcast. Yeah, yep. yeah. We're which is all about prospects, of course. Yeah, we had a we had a long conversation about Aaron Ashby. <laughs> yeah, Aaron Ashby, how the industry as a whole is treating him versus, uh, you, you know, I I think there's a lot to like there in Aaron in Aaron Ashby. I think there's also a high probability he winds up being a reliever. Mm-hmm. And so maybe from a dynasty context, he, he's being overvalued, even though I like a lot of the skills there. But, you know, I won't rehash the whole conversation. It's just, it was an, it was an interesting one between the Welsh and I on his podcast, Prospect One. So check it out. Yeah, check it out if you haven't listened to it already. Uh you know, it's just so crazy. I bring up Aaron Ashby because I see a lot of similarities between him now versus Freddie Peralta this time a year ago. We just we didn't really know what the role was going to be. We knew that you know there was some kind of strikeout upside there, uh, and he was going outside the top 200, which is basically similar to where Ashby is going right now. So we'll see if he can work his way into the rotation. I know they have a few other names there. Uh, Eric Lauer was actually pretty good for the Brewers, and. Who else do they have in their rotation? I'm drawing a blank right now, but someone else is ahead of him, so we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously the top three is entrenched at this point. But, yeah, I mean, Aaron Ashby could wind up being a starter. It, it, it's really just a question. That's not how they used him this past year. They mo- used him more as a multi-inning reliever. Uh, but you definitely could see him being the next the next breakthrough starting pitcher for them if they decide to go that route with them. Adrian Hauser is the name that I was looking for, and that's exactly where we're going to wrap. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.